Good day, ladies and gentlemen. I am going to talk to you today about how the sausage is made in the Catholic media world, Catholic media postulate, Catholic YouTube, Catholic podcasting, that sort of thing. I'm going to talk about this because, well, there's just some things I want to talk about, and I've wanted to talk about them for a long time. I'm not going to bring up individual persons. Um, the reason being, there's a, about three reasons. One, maybe just two, but one reason... I really don't want to get into a tit-for-tat with any of these people. They are insufferable when they want to have debates and things like that, and they'll just never leave you alone, or they're annoying. That's one. Secondly, I'm also not trying to give anybody any press. And I guess thirdly, uh, I guess there's a third reason. I also want people to have an open mind to what I'm going to say. And if I talk about so-and-so or so-and-so's organization, then it's very unlikely that people who are partisans of so-and-so will even give it the time of day which is understandable, you know, um, we're all like that, but I just wanted to try to avoid that. And there is precedent for this in church history. Um, if you actually look at the way popes have talked about their intellectual adversaries or heretics and things like that, I'm not saying I'm in the position of a pope to do something like that. I'm just saying that's how they've acted. They won't name the person almost ever. They'll just name the heresy. They'll name the idea. And then individually the person's dealt with. St. Augustine did that. I can't remember which heretic he was dealing with, but he just sort of debunked and refuted a heretic without ever mentioning the guy's name. I did that in my book, SSPX, The Defense. I never actually named any of the critics of the SSPX. The reason is, is because I don't want them to be, to be remembered. Uh, and that's, you know, I just wanted it to be about the arguments and don't give the malcontents their 15 minutes of fame by including them in a book. So I was very conscious of that. I would say things like the critics or the enemies of, or the opponents of, or whatever. So I'm going to do something like that similar today. So, all right. You may have noticed something within the Catholic podcasting world. You may have noticed that in, let's call it Catholic Inc. Catholic Inc. refers to all of the sort of mainstream organizations and podcasters. And you know who they are. I'm not going to name them, but you know who they are. And then their associates. So you have Catholic Inc., which is the mainstream movers and shakers. These are the ones running the large media postulates. These are the ones having the big organizations. These are, these are the ones, you know, putting on the conferences and that sort of thing. And you have their individual personalities, the influencers that are sort of the face of these places. These are the organizations of Catholic Inc. Now, I want you, I want you to think about something. Think how many of these organizations, podcasters, YouTubers, whatever, think how many of them and how often they have gone after traditional Catholics by name. I've been the victim of it many times. Taylor Marshall's been the victim of it many times. There is this constant, or I would say not infrequent, tearing down of other Catholic podcasters if they are traditionalists. This happens all the time. And it's pretty much always unprovoked. Now it's under the it's under the the guise of, well, so and so is leading the faithful astray with his schismatic ideas, blah, 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 blah. So they have a justification for it. But the takedowns are pretty much character assassinations. Um they'll pretend that they're taking somebody down because look, I I found a clip of something he said. Look at me. 
and they, you know, make a 50-minute video debunking the five reasons Taylor Marshall and Kennedy Hall are heretics or whatever. When really that's not actually how these things are done. Really, you should have a conversation with somebody or you should do something like pick up a book, break down the entire book that the person's written, and then write your own book in response or lengthy essay or something like that. That's how actual intellectuals operate. But these men aren't really actual intellectuals. And I'll explain what I mean by that as we go. Now, think of all the traditionalists. Think of the big name traditionalists. How often do they go after other lay Catholics by name? Has Taylor Marshall ever gone after another lay Catholic or lay Catholic organization that was Orthodox by name? I don't actually think he has. Have I ever gone after another lay Catholic by name? One or Once or twice, I went after the same person. And to be honest, it was in a fit of self-defense. Um, so there you go. But look at the track record of the Catholic Inc. folks. Look at how they go after traditionalists. Look after look after look at how they go after traditionalist organizations like the Society of St. Pius X. Look at how they go after other traditional Catholic podcasters. Why do they do that? Well, there's a lot of reasons. We're gonna break that down. I have these reasons here written down. They're in no particular order, but I'm gonna go off of them as the sort of music of conversation plays out. One reason, you have to understand something. These organizations, these individuals, they are competing for a market share. You see, Catholic organization X, Y, and Z, Catholic podcaster so-and-so, these men who run these organizations or work for these organizations or as independents, which are not really independent, are under the umbrella of these organizations. They have put all their eggs in the Catholic media apostolate apologetics basket. They are an apologist for so-and-so. They are on the radio. They're on TV. They're on YouTube. And what they're doing is they are selling their brand to people. It doesn't matter that they're nonprofits. I've worked for many nonprofits. Nonprofits are businesses. They just have a different tax model because of what they do. But they still have to keep the lights on. They still have to pay employees. And in fact, they might have a handicap in some ways because they also have to answer to their board and to donors. And often the donors and the board sometimes have a, let's say, imbalanced pressure or influence over the direction of the organization. Whereas in the quote unquote free market, you know, people who are not nonprofits, they're not having to uphold this sort of nonprofit model. People are just selling widgets or, you know, selling projects or products to people. They literally only care for the most part about the consumer. They care about where is the market taking them? You know, I'll give you an example. If you look at the history of Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola had uh, Coke 2 or whatever it was called, and I'm, or New Coke, I don't know. It was when, before I was born, I think it was 1986. But that's why when we were kids, if you're my age and you're mid-30s, 
you would have these cans of Coke and they all said Coca-Cola Classic on them. Why is that? Because new Coke sucked. And after six months, they realized that and they got rid of it. Here's the thing, though. The reason that happened was because they were in a competitive business market where all that mattered was whether or not people were going to buy Coke products or Pepsi products. The nonprofit world does not work that way. The nonprofit world is donor supported, which means there's a certain ideology, philosophy, belief that you have to satisfy to keep people donating to you. And the amount of people who keep these organizations afloat, there are a lot of sort of small donors. They'll give you five bucks a month or something like that. But actually, more often than not, these organizations and individuals who operate like nonprofits, they'll usually have a handful of very high-paying donors. This is very common in nonprofits. Now, I'm not saying that's evil. It could be good. You know, if you're somebody out there, I'm not a nonprofit, but if you want to support Kennedy Hall, I'm half joking here. You say, I'd like to give Kennedy Hall a million dollars a year to do podcasts. And you happen to be a trad and you're a nice guy and there's no strings attached. Go for it. <laughs> I'm half kidding. If you want to do that, uh, I don't know. Send me a note. Um, it can be fine. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing intrinsically evil about someone giving a lot of money to something. But attached to money is a lot of power. So these organizations and these individuals who are associated with these organizations, their first loyalty is not to you. Their first loyalty is not to the customer. Their first loyalty is to the financial backer. And it does not always equate to more financial backing the more views you get. It's hard for people to understand because we're used to this business model of consumer, consumer-based business model. But in the nonprofit world, it doesn't work like that. You keep the big donors happy. If you're a Catholic podcaster and you like tradition and your Catholic and your and your donors on your non-profit board, they say to you, so-and-so is upset because you said something they don't like about Divine Mercy or about the Novus Ordo or whatever, John Paul II. Charismatic renewal, pick your thing that's really popular among sort of the post-conciliar Catholic mentality. Then you better make that donor happy, lest you lose fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year or more from that person. Also, in nonprofits, there is politicking within the board. And over time, the boards will be filled with, just like the Curia. Actually, let's just pause there for a second. This shouldn't shock anybody. Look at the politics within the Bride of Christ, the Catholic Church. Obviously, there's an institutional element, divine element. We're not saying that Christ is political in that disordered sense. But look at the politics within Rome. You have to understand, Catholic organizations are going to be plagued by the same nonsense. So the reason I'm saying this is because you got to understand, they have to balance these organizations and these individuals who are funded like these organizations. A lot of the time you have to understand too, these nonprofit organizations, they will fund these satellite operatives. What does that mean? Well, you know, organization X, 
has a budget of $2 million a year. And there is a young hotshot podcaster who they would like to see succeed. So they'll give him a bunch of seed money. That does happen. I've never received it. God is my witness. I've never received anything like that. I'm completely independent. I have, I don't know, a dozen patrons or something, <laughs> you know, like it's not whatever it is. I, I, I'm independent. I just, I don't, I don't actually make my living mostly at all from YouTube. I do that from, you know, I've been a journalist and author and audiobook narrator. Like that's how I make my living. I don't make my, 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 my eggs are not in the YouTube basket. And quite frankly, I don't want them to ever be in there because the temptations to go down these, these, these dark paths are there for everybody. In any case, so you can understand these people running these organizations or these people who are funded by these organizations who are doing these podcasts. Yes, you'll see. So it's so-and-so's podcast, but so-and-so's podcast is under the umbrella of so-and-so or organization X, Y, and Z, which means he's not really independent. Now, this is not, again, this is not uncommon. Places like Daily Wire operate like this, but Daily Wire is a for-profit model. That's why they don't care if Michael Knowles says things that are radically different than Ben Shapiro on religion, because their brand is not this uniform religious nonprofit. Their brand is, we are conservative, watch our show and buy the products we advertise. That's how they make their living. They don't care if they have people like Candace Owens being anti-vaccine and Ben Shapiro calling you a dope if you don't get jabbed on Twitter. They want both those people working for the same organization because that gets them more ad money. That's a fact. The Catholic podcasting world with the nonprofits does not work like that. They have to have a narrative. They have to appease the donors who pull the strings, appease the board of directors who pull the strings, and they have to make that work. Now, because they're competing for this market share, there's no space for them to have competitors in that market. These guys, it's funny, I was looking at one of these uh, podcasts yesterday, it doesn't matter which one, but one of these big organizations. And I'm looking at this and this, you know, this is a this is an organization where they've got like huge amounts of money. They've got multi-cam studio set up and this video has like 2,000 views and it probably took a whole day to put together. I know as a YouTuber, that video will make like 50 bucks. Yet they spent 700 bucks to make that video with the two or three people working a full-time day or more. That's a losing investment. They made no money on it. Now, now you sometimes put out videos as a YouTuber and they just, they're flops. That happens. But then I compare that to, you know, I'm looking at my actual back end of my YouTube right now on my computer. You know, I released a video this morning. It's on uh, Bishop Strickland. Now that's a breaking news story, but that's at like, I don't know, 13,000 views in a couple hours, whatever it is. Even if I just kind of get in front of my microphone and wing it. I did a thing the other day, just my thoughts on not taking the red pill and black pill too much and taking the white pill, 5,000 views. I literally just sat in front of my iPhone attached to my laptop via continuity camera, which is an app that makes you use your iPhone as a webcam, sitting there with a $300 microphone that I bought for voiceover sitting in my unfinished basement on a card table chair and a free desk we got once because of some points we got from the grocery store. <laughs> and a light, one studio light that, that, a, that a, uh, a supporter sent me as a gift. 
So for me to produce, I produced that video for free. Didn't pay myself a dime. The reason I bring this up is because you got to understand these organizations, how much money do you think they've put into these studios? How much money do you think that those podcasters you see with their fancy thumbnails, their fancy studios, the, the, the good editing, the multicam setups, this live streaming in 4k, you know, having things on all platforms, how much money do you think? I guarantee you put it this way. In order to have a full-time media apostle, you've got to have at least two or three employees. At least. You're going to have to pay them at least 50 grand a year, right? I mean, they're usually young guys who can take a lower salary, but you're going to have to pay them a decent amount of money. So you're already at 150 grand, not even including the talent. Then you got to have the studio. So you're either going to have to build it or rent it or buy it. So that's in the hundreds of thousands, whether that's tens of thousands a year to rent the place and that's over a five-year lease or whatever it is. I mean, you, you can see where I'm going with this. You're going to have to spend a bunch of money. Then you're going to have to have fifteen dollars to $20,000 of equipment. The cameras that you're going to use for those sorts of things, you're going to have two or three at least. They're going to be three dollars to $4,000 each. You're going to have a bunch of those Shure SM7B microphones or some Sennheiser wireless microphones uh, that are 1000 each for the Sennheisers, the Shure SM7Bs, including the cloud lifters and the, the preamplifiers and the arm, the, the boom arms you got to buy. You're looking at six, seven hundred bucks a pop. You're going to have four or five of those on, on set. Uh, you got to have the set itself. You got to have the lights. You got to have the uh, extremely high bandwidth for all the streaming things. You're going to be looking at half a million bucks to get one of these things going, including all the labor and so forth. That's just the way it is. That's just the cost of doing business. So what do you think these organizations see when they see people like Kennedy Hall? And I'm small potatoes, but I'm not as small as some of their stuff. And I literally work for free. Again, this is basically a hobby. I'm an author, I'm a journalist, and uh, uh, audiobook narrator. That's how I make my living. I do YouTube because it's fun. If it makes me a few bucks here and there, that's great. It really just helps me sell books. And it helps me get some exposure to do talks and things like that. And that's kind of where the bread and butter is. So I don't have a big investment in this. If tomorrow YouTube goes away for me, I lose literally nothing. That would be a shame. I enjoy doing it. And it's not completely nothing. As, as I said, it helps me do sell some books and things like that. But it's, it's not like I'm putting in half a million dollars to get the thing off the ground. So if you're one of these organizations, you're looking around this market share, you've got donors in your, you've got nonprofits, nonprofit, uh, you know, board of directors. You look and you see Taylor Marshall just got 150,000 views talking about X, Y, and Z. And, you know, yes, his setup is nicer than mine. Sorry, Taylor. Uh, you're not a dad with a webcam. You're a dad with a nice DSLR camera that you use as a webcam, <laughs> but still compared to, compared to these studio setups, yes, you're a dad with webcam. You got one or two cameras, a laptop, microphone in your office over your garage. That's Taylor Marshall's setup versus X, Y, and Z organization has a half million dollar investment. And they look at Taylor's stuff and he just got 150,000 views talking about, I mean, even just apologetics. Look at some of Taylor's stuff where he's talked about the mass. He's talked about Protestantism. He's talked about the, the Nephilim. He's talked about these apologetical things. He's got like half a million views, a million views on some of these things. He's destroying these organizations that literally have an operating budget of three to $4 million a year. That's what they'll pay. That's what it'll cost to run these places, including the media, but other things as well. 
you know, they run off, they get five, six, seven, eight million dollars of donations a year. They got to spend all that. That's how the nonprofit model works, right? And they can't beat Taylor Marshall in the media. They can barely beat Kennedy Hall. And I'm literally recording on an iPhone. This is why ultimately they have to discredit persons and not ideas. Because you got to understand something. Yes, these men who are in apologetics and run podcasts, they're smart, but that doesn't mean they're holy. It doesn't mean they're good men. I'm not saying they're bad men. I'm just saying, just because so-and-so can talk about the existence of God in Thomas's five ways, just because so-and-so can debunk Protestantism in a debate or talk about the Eastern Orthodox or whatever, it doesn't mean he's a good man. He might be a good man. I hope he is. I'm just saying it doesn't mean he is. It means he's a professional apologist. He's a professional podcaster. All his eggs are in this basket. And if you're not tuning into him, then donors are going to ask why. And he's not going to make money on YouTube. And you got to ask yourself, who's going to pay the salary if the money doesn't come in? Now, if you were a human being and you ran a business and somebody was encroaching on your market, what would you do? We'd have a couple options. And what, I said, if you were a human being, what I mean is if you're a human being with original sin, like you're like all human beings, you have a couple options. One, you could just make a better product. The thing is they can't make a better product. That's the thing about, that's the thing about this way of communication. People who watch YouTube videos they don't really care what it looks like that much. I'm literally, I sit in my basement with my bench press and my chin-up bar and my elect, you know, electric circuit board on the wall behind me. If people cared that much about what it looked like, they would not tune in. A lot of people don't actually look at the videos on YouTube. They listen on YouTube premium or they just have it playing in their car. They don't actually watch. All they care about is that it just is clear video and the colors are half decent. Look at the most famous podcasts on the internet. A lot of them are just talking head videos. The most important thing on YouTube is actually audio. It's more important than video. If you can't hear it clearly, you're just not going to watch. In any case, they can't make a better video based on just the content itself. I mean, you got a talking head video of Taylor Marshall or someone like me versus so-and-so, it's just a talking head video. What are you going to do? Add a bunch of 3D animation and stuff? No one really cares. That's not the type of video it is. So you have to make a better product based solely on the personality, the content that's being spoken, the confidence of the speaker, the swagger of the speaker, like all those intangibles. You can't just force that. If people don't like your person, who may be a great apologist, maybe he's a good guy, but if people don't like the cut of his jib, it doesn't matter how much studio equipment you use because people just don't want to tune in. So in many cases, they just, can, they just simply can't make a better product. They can't make a better product than Taylor Marshall can make where he's literally just sitting in front of a camera in his office 
no matter how big the studio, no matter how many people work in, no matter how many cameras, no matter how many lights or green screen or whatever. So they have other options. They can try to debunk the person. How often have you seen that? How many times have these people in Catholic Inc. made videos about me debunking Kennedy Hall and X, Y, and Z? My goodness gracious, debunking is one of the most annoying things. And the reason I say that, this is not my idea. This is C.S. Lewis's idea. It's in his book. I think it's called The Weight of Glory or Men Without Chests. I think Weight of Glory is within the Men Without Chests. I always get them mixed up. But point is, look it up. He talks about debunking and he talks about debunking being one of the side effects of a weak intellect in the postmodern age. And the reason is debunking is not creative. I'll explain what I mean. Debunking is tearing down. Creating is building up. Now, obviously, there's an element of debunking that is part of a sort of argumentative to mystic philosophical thing. I get that. But this constant insistence, I'm going to go be a content vulture and look at other people's shows. And then I'm going to sit there and tell you why I'm an expert and they're wrong. This sort of debunking, this is tearing down, not building up. What it is, it is a negative activity, not a positive. And I don't mean just in feelings. What I mean is nothing is being created. You're just producing content. You're not creating anything meaningful. Men who have solid intellects and confidence and, 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 and creativity, they create things. They don't tear things down. When was the last time you ever saw Dr. Scott Hahn debunk somebody? When was the last time you ever saw Dr. Kwasniewski debunk someone? When was the last time you ever saw Bishop Schneider debunk somebody? When was the last time you saw Taylor Marshall debunk somebody? Again, there's a fine line between, you know, exposing the five myths of Lutheranism. You know, I get that. There's, there's an apologetical. But this, this, constant, this constant need to debunk what this represents is that someone doesn't have their own original ideas or they don't have enough of them. Look at my YouTube channel. I've probably used the word debunking. And again, I'm guilty of all these same things. I'm not, I'm not putting myself up as some saint. But look at my YouTube channel. I don't know, maybe there's 200 videos in there. I don't know how many videos. Try to find the debunking. Maybe two or three or something. I don't know. And even there, it's just kind of a catch-all term. It's like commenting on something. And to be honest, I'm actually not really proud of some of my videos because I've been trying to figure this YouTube thing out. And I realize the temptation is there to act like these guys and I just don't like it. So I've stopped doing some of it. I've also realized as we'll go here that these men will never have anything to do with traditionalists because of reasons that we'll get to. So there's just no point in trying to play ball with them anyway. In any case, I'm just a regular Joe, but my YouTube channel, it's not full of debunking. I don't really tend to go and like watch other people's content and tear it down. And the reason is, for one, I don't have time to watch other people's content. I don't really consume that much stuff. Also, not to put myself on the same level as these, as these men I've mentioned, but I aspire to be like them. 
my bread and butter is being an author. My bread and butter is being an audio narrator. My bread and butter is being a journalist, being a freelance writer. I actually am creative. I'm in creative mode all the time. You know, I've got an article I got to write for X, this place or that, but I got to hand it into Crisis Magazine or 1 Peter 5 or LifeSite News, Catholic Family News, whatever. Write a book. I got to just signed a, a contract with Sophia to write a book. You know, I got to finish that, you know, in a few months or whatever. My, my energy goes into producing something original. So when I hop on YouTube, I'm just there because I just have something I want to talk about. Kind of like what I'm doing now. The idea of debunking doesn't cross my mind in the slightest. Because I don't think about tearing other people down. The debunker has to, because the debunker, well, there's a, there's a correlation between someone's intelligence and their ability to be creative. This is just a fact. If you look into the literature on psychology, you will find that people who score high in creativeness, creativity, that's the word, in creativity, they will usually be highly intelligent people. Okay? If somebody isn't to that degree of intelligence when it comes to creativity, they just simply can't be creative. So, they have to find another way to be the smartest man in the room. And what's the easiest way to find a way to be the smartest man in the room is to tear another person down. But don't just tear the person down. You do it from afar. You pull up one of their YouTube videos. You pull up one of their articles, you know, which is one thing in a thousand they've said on that. You pick out a couple paragraphs, you pick up a couple, pick out a couple sentences out of context and you just tear the person down. The people that are the content producers have to do this because they're not creative. They're simply producers, they're not creators. This is a huge portion of the Catholic podcasting world. And you'll know what I mean if you go do a survey. Go look at the way that these are done. It is constant, so-and-so expert breaks down five myths about that. So-and-so expert debunks so-and-so's sermon. So-and-so expert debunks Kennedy Hall's YouTube video. So-and-so expert, blah, 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 blah. This is not how the great minds of Catholic academia and, and, and scholarship act. They just don't. It's just not what they do. But again, these men have put all their money into the same, or the, all their eggs in the same basket, sorry. And that brings me to my next point. Ultimately, this behavior is about money. I think you've probably gathered that by now. It's about money. How can it not be? These men make a living being the smartest man in the room about Catholicism. They cannot suffer the fact that Taylor Marshall, Kennedy Hall, even, you know, Anthony and Robert avoiding Babylon, these small potatoes outlets, they cannot handle the fact that they're putting, these guys are doing this like part-time after their construction job. These guys are like me. They're, you know, they're not even full communion. They're schismatics like Kennedy Hall. And they're pulling off 50,000 views for something. Whereas so-and-so put 800 bucks to a thousand bucks into producing a video that gets 1500 views. And they got a marketing team behind it for goodness sake. These are men. These are human beings. They have original sin. They can't make a better product. We've established that. So they got to tear them down. Then they got to do a character assassination. When was the last time you ever saw one of these outlets invite myself or Taylor Marshall or someone like me on? Think, I'll, I'll wait. Think. Think of the top five, you know, Catholic podcasts outside a traditional world. 
and they'll use terms like, oh, these rad trads, whatever. When was the last time they've ever invited somebody on for a conversation that was an intellectual adversary? When? There's one exception to this. Brian Holdsworth. I said I wasn't going to mention people. I'm not mentioning people in negative lights. I'm mentioning Brian in a positive light. But Brian is also, I mean, and he's a trad, but, you know, he's, he's, he's a nicer person than me. He's got a nicer uh, persona than I do. So he gets to play in the sandbox with, with Catholic Inc. Um, but he's also independent. He doesn't, he has, he's, he's got his own business. This is something that's a hobby that's turned into a, something on the side. But for these people that they uh, make their living with all their eggs in one basket, as Catholic podcasters, apologists, Catholic organizations doing the same thing. And they just simply can't beat Taylor Marshall and the trads when it comes to market share, especially given the, especially given the money they put in, because the market share is a bit relative. I spend $0 advertising Kennedy Hall. If Kennedy Hall gets 10% of a market share, that is a 10,000%, you know, higher rate of return than the company who gets 80%, but has to spend a bazillion dollars to get that 80%. You see what I'm saying? And they understand these things because they have business teams. They have accounting teams. These people have to justify their jobs. I've seen this before. I've seen this working in places like the school boards and other organizations. When fiscal time comes around and they're saying, hey, we spent a thousand bucks a day producing that show. And there's a guy with an iPhone who got half as many views as, as we did. Why don't you just do that? We should probably hire this video editing team. Those conversations come up. If you don't have a good answer for them, you're gone. So you've got to create a controversy. You've got to create a, you've got to get rid of the competition. This is what they do. Again, just because these men are experts on the catechism, don't assume they're experts on morals and virtues in their own personal lives. I'm not accusing them of anything. I'm just saying the two are not necessarily related. These men are like all other men. They are in group chats. All men are like 12-year-olds who have grown up. I'm half joking, but it's true. All men want to be on a team. All men have these hierarchies where there's alphas and betas and whatever. And all of them are in a position where they have to find a way to work with their bros in order to win. Every man does that in some degree. And if you, if, if you don't know that men do that, they do that. They all do that. Everyone's in group chats. Everyone's in telegram groups or dm chats or whatever and they're always scheming and you know i'm making it sound evil what i mean is they're you know men like to look at the world and their places of work or whatever and they say this is a problem and they're always kibitzing about how are we going to solve this how do we win like that's a thing that men always do everyone does that so you best believe that these organizations they're they're chatting, they're talking to their creator, their content producers, these people that work with them, and they are thinking of ways to take Taylor Marshall and Kennedy Hall out. They are doing that. You best believe that. And if you don't think they are, you don't understand human nature and you definitely don't understand men. And every once in a while, you see their true colors. Every once in a while, one of these guys lets his temper get, a better, get the better of him when he's sick and tired of being bested by these guys with webcams. And he comes out with some takedown or some character assassination. You can, I always know when it's going to come to. I know when I do a certain video that I'm going to receive character assassination within 48 hours. 
And like clockwork, it happens. Because ultimately, as I said, it's about the money. They don't want you taking their piece of the pie. And this is where their sort of bully tactics come in. So, I don't know if you've ever watched the show The Office. The Office is my favorite show. <laughs> it's a great show. But in any case, um, there's a part in The Office, one of the episodes where Dwight Schrute, he says, you know, contrary to popular belief, the weak always bully the strong. And it's actually true. I was a teacher for a lot of years. You know, if you've worked with youth, the kids who have confidence and have everything together, they're actually almost never bullies. The kids who are bullies are the ones who have a chip on their shoulder and have something to prove. Even if they're physically bigger, they're morally weaker. It is true. The weak tend to bully the strong. You know, if you ever, if you ever, uh, were to be in a room with a bunch of guys who were offensive linemen for the professional football team. Those guys will likely never get in a fight on their own choice. You go talk to a bunch of washed up high school athletes at a bar who never really were that good, ask how many fights they've been in. Probably a lot more. The reason I'm bringing this up is because men who have their stuff together, men, and I'm just using the physical example here, but men who have their stuff together, their lives together, their, their physicality together, their intellectual life together, these men can succeed no matter what. So they just go for the victory. They just go for the influence. They just, they just win. That's what they do. They're alphas. It's a real thing. This is why guys coming out of the military, especially these high-ranking military orders, you know, organizations, they'll come out of the SEALs or whatever. They can go into any bit, they can go, they can go into the widget factory down the road that's failing. They can turn that thing down in a year or sorry, turn that thing around in a year because they have those intangible skills of leadership and thinking on their feet and et cetera. And that's the kind of men that they just kind of stay in their lane. They don't need to tear other people down because they just find a way to win honorably. That's just how they are. But then there is the betas of the world. Now, beta does not mean that they're not capable of things. Think about a wolf pack. The beta in a wolf pack is still pretty, he's still pretty tough, but he's just not the top dog. So he can either accept his role as being the beta, or he can be biting at the heels of the alpha. See where I'm going with this? And that's what these men do. They can't beat the alphas. And I'm not just talking here about just clicks and things like that. I just mean in, in the persona, the confidence, the personality, the influence. They can't beat the guys like Taylor Marshall. They just can't do it. doesn't matter how much, how many millions of dollars a year they put in their media pause. They cannot do it. Because they just don't have the X factor. They just don't have the alpha quality. So... They still want to be the alpha themselves, but they just can't do it honorably. So they just tear him down. They bite at his ankles. They collude with the pack to try to take him down when they just can't do it. And these are the bully tactics that are common amongst the Catholic podcasting world. You know, I've, I have been a part of this before. I won't name names as I said, but I've had it where I've literally had people reach out to me who are part of the 
the big mainstream. You know, I'm like the SSPX guy and you wouldn't think it, but a lot of people do talk to me from organizations. Well, I have a few stories I could tell. A lot of people do talk to me from organizations that you would think that someone like that would have nothing to do with me. And they'll tell me, you know, just so you know, we actually love the SSPX over here, but we can't actually say it out loud, you know, because of the donors, because of the whatever. That happens to me all the time. I've found out that, you know, you'd be surprised the people I know who are on the Marcel Lefebvre side, who are big names in Catholic, the Catholic world, but just can't say it for important reasons. But the point is, I've had people reach out to me and tell me a couple things. On the one hand, I've had people reach out to me and say, you wouldn't believe how they talk about you here, Kennedy. And I'm like, they're talking about me there? Why do they even care about me? They hate me. They can't stand me. They can't, they, and I'm like, why are they even watching my show if they don't like it? Because they can't stand that they have competition given the fact that I'm a trad. Because here's the thing, if the traditional Catholic thing fall, if the traditional Catholic thing wins, then the entire mechanism of Catholic Inc. dies. Think about it. The entire conference circuit, the entire media world, you know, everywhere from, I said I wouldn't name anything, but I'm just using generic, everywhere from like EWTN to Ascension Press, whatever. And I'm actually not even thinking about EWTN and Ascension Press in this little monologue I'm giving, but those are just two big ones. That whole thing crumbles if the new springtime is a winter. That whole market is gone if Marcel Lefebvre was right. It's just a fact. They cannot have it. I mean, <laughs> this is one thing. Traditionally and in traditional churches, you don't have lay people standing in front of the altar giving a conference. Sometimes, in some scenarios, you can, with the permission of the pastor, in very respectful ways, have the person speaking from not the pulpit, but from like a lectern or something like that, you know, not in front of the Eucharist. And the content is, is, is such that, you know, the, the priest knows it's going to be good, right? That happens sometimes. But this whole, like, we're going to fill a gym and we're going to have speakers and Eucharistic adoration and summer camps and Bible programs and whatever, that does not happen in a traditional Catholic church. It just doesn't. For one, because it's completely lay-led. And that's Protestantism. This idea that there's going to be all these lay leaders in the church, this is the synod on synodality, which is hilarious because these conservative podcasters, commentators, apologetics outlet, you know, they'll say they don't like things like the synod or they're concerned about it. They are the synod on synodality. These are lay organizations that act as if they're, you know, the arbiters of Catholic orthodoxy. And they're literally, they are literally meaningless. Like these are just, these people have as much doctrinal authority over you as Kennedy Hall, which is to say zero. But they have the name, you know, Catholic in their thing or, you know, Academy in their thing or some saint or whatever. And it's like, okay, who cares? They're just a nonprofit. You, anyone can start a nonprofit in the United States. It's a joke. I, if I moved to the United States, I could start, you know, whatever. Traditional Catholic apologetics outlook or out, out, outreach or something doesn't mean anything. It has no authority over anybody, but you can just legally do it. If the new spring, if, if traditionalists are correct, the new springtime dies and Catholic Inc. goes broke. And this again goes back to the fact 
that all of the eggs are in one basket. Taylor Marshall is an author and he has the New St. Thomas Institute. Kennedy Hall is an author. I hate to speak myself in the third person. I apologize. I'm an author and I have my uh, freelance writing and my audiobook narration. YouTube is an afterthought. My eggs are not all in this basket. All of these organizations in Catholic Inc., all of their eggs are in the we must stay relevant basket. There's only so many ways you can talk about the five ways for the existence of God. Like Thomas Aquinas already did it. He did it better than you. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Another podcast on that? Another call-in show on that? These things are useful, but you're going to have to find something else to stay relevant. And eventually you're going to run out of ideas and you're going to have to take another traditionalist down because you can't allow him to be in the market share as you because that goes after your wallet and you aren't creative. You're a producer. You're not a creator. There's a big difference. You're somebody who gives people content that feeds them like fast food. You're not a chef. Dr. Kwasniewski is a chef. You flip burgers at McDonald's. See what I'm saying? And it's the same model as fast food. Think about it. Think about that restaurant that has like a chef or the, you know, the bed and breakfast or even just the, even just the mom and pop. Like it doesn't have to be like the greatest place in the world, but just think of the place that's like authentic Italian food or something. And it's Mama Grazie's or whatever, you know, versus, you know, Chipotle. Chipotle is way bigger, has a huge market share, but they just serve you like three or four things over and over and over again. And you get it because it's there and it's easy and you don't have to think about it. Chipotle is delicious, by the way. But this is what it's like. You know, a guy like Dr. Kwasniewski, I mean, have you read Once in Future Roman Rite? These jokers in the Catholic apologetic world, they are never going to debate Dr. K on the liturgy because he would destroy them. He would absolutely ruin their careers. Can you imagine? If you've never read it, you need to read it. Can you imagine, you know, so-and-so part of Catholic Inc. does his little debunking videos with his half-million-dollar budget. Can you imagine him having a debate of goodwill with, like, a moderator in person about the history of the Roman Rite and why the Novus Ordo is not the Roman Rite? Can you imagine him having that debate with Dr. Kwasniewski? He would look like an idiot. And that's the thing about these men. If they actually pit themselves against giants of intellect, and I'm not saying I'm one of those. I'm not saying that at all. I'm talking about other people here. If you pit these... Catholic apologist, debunkers, whatever. If you pit them again, and yeah, these guys are good. They a lot of them are former Protestants, so they've got like this understanding of debunking Lutheranism. Listen, it's really easy to debunk Lutheranism. Luther was an idiot. His doctrines are insane. There, it's debunked. It started in 1500. Jesus Christ came in the year zero. Like it's not hard to debunk Luther. I know it's more than that. I'm just saying, like, oh, congratulations, you can debunk the Lutheranism in five points. Luther basically ordered the genocide of 100,000 people with the peasant murders or whatever it was, peasant revolt. He was uh, uh, into bigamy, prostitutes, made up stuff in the Bible, took books out. It's like he's debunked in like five seconds or less. Anyone who is open and has an open heart and is of goodwill, if you just tell them three or four things about Luther, it's obvious Lutheranism is stupid. It's not hard to debunk Lutheranism. You don't have to be a genius. The reason I say this is because don't, 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 
Don't confuse somebody having a knowledge of factoids with somebody having a big intellect or a creative mind. That's what I'm saying. So these men, yeah, you know, they debunk Lutheranism, whatever, fine. They can argue pro-life or they can talk about why Eastern Orthodoxy is not the true Catholic Church, blah, blah, blah. Again, these things are factoids. You can learn this if you go spend enough time on Wikipedia. But you'll never see these men standing toe-to-toe with a giant of Catholic intellect. Have you ever seen one of them? Think about it. Think about these, you know, whatever. Pick your personality in, in Catholic Inc. Have you ever seen any of these men, any of them at all, test their ideas either through long-form written debate, uh, whatever, or in-person moderated debate. Not online debates. Online debates are stupid. I'm sorry. They're so dumb. The reason is, well, there's a lot of reasons. Body language, the energy in the room, rhetoric, the atmosphere, the crowd, the moderator, all of those things are completely handicapped in a, in a debate on the internet. A moderator in a debate, first of all, has to be an expert. I mean, so-and-so with a podcast, who the heck is he? He might be an expert, but it's like he just wants the views. So he's going to bring on two opposing views so he can get 50,000 views and make a thousand bucks. He's not actually an expert in it. There is a place for debating. Michael Matt used to do the Argument of the Month Club, and that was amazing. And Michael Matt's another guy. He's independent. This is why he can say what he wants. Anyway, point is, Debate's great, but that's not, it's not the way that it happens on the internet. That's, that's a waste of time. That is just, that's, that's, that's fast food debate. But have you ever seen one of these, these men debate a real giant of intellect? I've never seen it. It's never going to happen. You are never going to find so-and-so from, they'll debate a Protestant, but Protestants are wrong and Protestantism is stupid. It's really easy to debate a Protestant. Because Protestantism is stupid. The only reason, the only way you get, the only way you get nicked by a Protestant in his debate is probably if you're going to debate a really, really smart Calvinist and he's going to go into the weeds on things like predestination. That's where you got to be careful. But as far as the actual, like the confines of the debate is the canon of scripture. Goodness gracious, a Protestant debate on scripture, like it's just a, it's, they're just coping the whole time, making stuff up, trying to explain why Luther could mutilate the Bible. It's a disaster. It doesn't take a genius to beat a Protestant in that. But when, when, when was the last time any of these men have ever debated a giant of Catholic intellect? When was the last, when was the last time any of these men invited a guy like myself or Taylor Marshall on the show for a conversation? Just a conversation, not a debate, just a conversation. Out of all the people in the mainstream Catholic publishing world who have ever ever invited me on for a conversation, the only person is Brian Holdsworth. And again, he's independent and it's it's not the same. But all these guys who've made videos about me, some of them multiple videos, I have said, here's my phone number, here's my email address, talk to me, never once received an invite. Or just for a private conversation. Never once. Never once. Because they don't care. They care about the money. They care about the views. They care about the market share. They are no different in their business models than a secular content creator. They need to sell out the talks. They need to sell out the metaphorical stadiums. They have to sell their books. 
They have to sell their YouTube show and they can't have it that those pesky trads with their iPhones and webcams and their non-studios are having a bigger market share than them, especially based on cost. And those are the facts and they can't make a better product because no one wants the new springtime. And ultimately, it's impossible to debate these men because they're neo-modernists. What do I mean by that? Read Pashendi by Pius X, it's about modernism. Then read Humanae Generis, which is about neo-modernism. Here's the difference. A modernist is a heretic. Out and out. A modernist says, you know, there's no miracles in the Bible or something like that. That's heresy. They'll say, they're, you know, they'll say it's myth or these are li literary devices or whatever. A neo-modernist leaves the door open for a natural explanation without committing to it. This is why they push evolution. Right. Anyone who pushes evolution is at least, and I'm talking about evolution. I don't mean there's, there's debate people have on certain things that are not defined by the church, but actual like molecules to man, apes giving rise to non-apes, that sort of thing, you know, Darwinian stuff. That is, there's no way that that is compatible with Catholicism anyway. There's no way. Um, that's new, the, the men who uh, advocate for that are almost all, they always are neo-modernists. And I'm talking about real evolution here, not the debatable things. I'm saying evolution per se. And the reason is because, you know, they're explaining away the supernatural. Anyway, my point is you can't debate men like this. You can't debate, you cannot debate a neo-modernist. A neo-modernist, it's like trying to grab a snake underwater. You can't do it because he never stays still and he's slippery. I would have an easier time debating a devout Calvinist than I would a neo-modernist Catholic. The devout Calvinist would believe black and white, I'm a heretic. The neo-modernist doesn't argue in black and white. He will on certain things that pertain to natural law, but not when it contains, pertains to doctrine. The neo-modernist loves novelty. Okay? The neo-modernist the neo will do apologetics for every single possible thing that the popes have said, Neo-modernists always have to be Pope's planners, by the way. It's impossible to avoid it because the neo-modernist has to attach himself to the progress of religion, which is a tenet of modernism. So if I say something from Pope Pius V, he'll say something from Pope John Paul II, and round and round we go. They'll use terms like papal magisterium as if that's a level of magisterium that is automatically binding on my conscience if it contradicts something from the past, which is not. So you can't debate one of these men because you won't actually be debating the topic. You'll be debating the essence of the Catholic religion. I can't debate a neo-modernist about evolution, let's say, because the neo-modernist doesn't believe the same things about dogma. I can't debate a neo-modernist about the liturgy because the neo-modernist doesn't believe the same things that the church has always believed about what is binding in an ecumenical council and what's not. They have no time for it. A neo-modernist and I cannot agree on what is the ordinary and universal magisterium. We can't. A neo-modernist cannot agree on the fundamentals of dogma according to Ludwig Ott, the six levels. They have to disp dispense with that. This is why they never, almost never, point to texts that come from before the Second Vatican Council. Sometimes they will when they find things out of context that 
touch on their novel ideas. Like they'll use paragraph 36 from Humana Generis by Pius XII. But that's, that's, they use it wrong. Anyway, you can't debate these men. You just can't. And they, anyway, this is why they'll never debate a Dr. Kwasniewski, a Taylor Marshall. Who of these men have ever reached out to Taylor in goodwill and said, would you please come on my show and can we just talk about what you believe about the infiltration of the church? Can we just talk about that? I mean, after all, the Pope has called us a dialogue. No dialogue for trads. Are you kidding me? Dialogue is for heretics, liberals, feminists, Protestants, atheists, Muslims. <laughs> These guys will go on an atheist's podcast to talk about abortion or whatever. There is, they will never in a million years invite a traditionalist on their podcast to talk about Catholicism because de facto they believe different things about religion and they can't be exposed. Anyway, that's pretty much the end of my notes. I hope I've covered everything I wanted to cover. I'm coming up on an hour here. That time has flown by. Now you know how the sausage is made. It's a business model. They go after the trads and they do it with all the same tactics that you would expect bullies to use. Intellectually, they're not as honest as they say they are. Uh, and I actually, I haven't even, I'll tell you one last story. What also happens, I forgot this. What also happens is I've had it where these Catholic Inc. mainstream guys have basically tried to, in a sense, befriend me. And then when uh, push comes to shove, they just drop me like a hot potato because they don't want to deal with my traditionalism. And then they just ghost me. I've had that before. Not sour grapes, but I'm just saying that's happened. They want to get a feel of what's going on. And then if it's not useful to them, they just drop it. It happens all the time. You've seen how the sausage is made. The Catholic podcasting world has a dark side. And ultimately, it's about money. And the love of money is the root of all evil. This is why I don't trust them. I don't trust Catholic Inc. I just don't. I don't trust anyone in it. I've seen too many people get burned all constantly. I've seen too many consciences be spurned. I've seen people chase after the mana. I've seen these... these and I've seen guys that are not big name podcasters, but they want to be part of Catholic Inc. And they will do anything in order to be a part of it. And sometimes something I forgot to say as well, these folks in Catholic Inc., and I know this for a fact, they'll use these low level podcasters as their Rottweilers. They don't want to actually go get dirty. So they'll send so-and-so to just go and continually bite so-and-so's ankles. It's what they do. I've seen it so much that I'm just like, I don't want to be a part of it. I've resigned to the fact that I'm never going to be part of mainstream Catholic Inc. And I never in a million years want to be. Because what I want to happen in the church is I want it to be the case in the church that the church has a restoration and then there's no need for people like me. And I can just simply go be a Catholic school teacher like I always wanted to be and just teach at a place where there's like priests and nuns and students in uniforms and it's just Catholicism, and I just get to teach history and religion like I used to, but, you know, had to leave because the system is too communist. That's what I want. So when the day comes that people like Kennedy Hall can be mainstream, it either means I've become a modernist or it means there's no need for me, and I'd prefer the latter. In any case, rant over, I think... Um. 
Let me know if you like this audio stuff. Let me know if you like the audio content. This will be uploaded to all the platforms, by the way. You'll see it everywhere. So just let me know. Anyway, this has been the Kennedy Report. Till next time, God bless.